So A.G. Barr testified before Congress today. I mean, it was such a circus. These Democrats, they are so vicious and venomous. That's coming up. Iran has a tag. I don't have much to say about it because they didn't let A.G. Barr get a word in edgewise. It was just all the Democrats going on these tirades. Iran has a tag. Well, I am quite worked up here just as we just jump into the show uh, with the adrenaline rush. Iran has a tag and some caffeine, I confess. Uh, a fake aircraft carrier. Iran, they've attacked a fake American aircraft carrier. If this is the best they can do, somehow I'm not shaking. Iran, they staged an airstrike against this big empty barge that was done up. They had like fake airplanes on it. No exaggeration. You cannot make this stuff up. They made this thing look like a U.S. aircraft carrier, and then they bombed it. Then they struck. They had helicopters. I mean, they really like got rid of this. Like They really, really... Did a job on this thing. They shot it with missiles. And this is supposed to frighten President Trump, I guess, into surrender. I mean, where's the waving the white flag? So this is a fake attack. Now, usually it's like that we've seen fake news reports. I guess Iran got mixed up. They keep hearing about fake news, fake news. They're like, all right, we're just going to create some of our own. This literally is genuinely fake news. So uh, the Iranians, they're more desperate than ever. And what they do is this is to drum up propaganda. This is not at all threatening to the United States. They know it's not. This I don't even think there are any other Arab countries that are going to fall for this nonsense. This is all about Iran's domestic problems. It's about the Iranian citizens. And the proof is they had this Iranian news media report that like made this into like this big attack. Wow, look at this. I mean, they admitted that it was staged. They didn't fake it. But they're reporting on it as though, you know, the Americans better beware. The Iranians, they can take they can take out an aircraft carrier any time because what happens is here the Iranian citizens obviously have zero faith in the regime at this point. They have shown no support whatsoever for the Ayatollah and the Iranian people. I mean, they are destitute. They are struggling just to survive. They lack basic food supplies, basic medicines. Of course, COVID-19 has ravaged that country. Their healthcare system is atrocious. And the only thing the Iranians are hoping for right now, so they do this kind of thing to drum up propaganda and in a move of desperation to somehow show we can get the United States, though that big bully the United States... We can defeat them to try to drum up some support. I doubt it's going to work at this point. But here's what's amazing. The Iranians, as far as I can see it, because their economy is in shambles, they've lost support from most of the Arab world right now. It's, it's, it's Iran, China, and Russia versus the rest of the world. And uh, China and Russia are not in the best shape either. So the Iranian regime may actually crumble. And, and, and we, so we've seen this before, back in the 80s with the Soviet Union, which was much, much bigger and much more powerful than Iran, and yet Reagan brought it down, the Soviet Union. These things don't happen overnight, but they happen over a course of years and of a multifaceted strategy, and then, boom, one day the Berlin Wall falls, and, oh, wow, did anybody see that coming? Yes, the smart people saw it coming. Well, that's what's happening between Trump and Iran. And their only hope is for Joe Biden to be elected in November. If, if, if Biden gets elected, and of course, then he's going to get back into the bogus Obama deal that he was so supportive of that he helped to create. And um, you know, then he's going to basically reverse all the success that Trump has had in destroying Iran. But if, but if Biden loses, if Trump wins, then I, I could see Iran being decimated. All right, so Twitter censored a video of a press conference of America's Frontline doctors. This is a group of conservative doctors. They call themselves America's Frontline Doctors. And look, full disclosure over here, there's a part of this press conference, there was a black lady 
She's an MD. She is a doctor. But there are stories going around. She apparently is into, she believes in witches and and, and, and demons being involved in, in, in medical problems and in people's sicknesses and stuff. So she seems to be a little bit fringe, shall we say. Now, that doesn't discredit the message. Her message happened to be pretty powerful. She basically said that hydroxychloroquine is being ignored by so many mainstream doctors. And she basically equated the, these doctors... With, ki- with killers, I mean, with people who are just allowing people to die because they're afraid of their own reputation. But I look, I, it does discredit the conservatives. If we use her as a spokesman, you know, and, and she believes in this very, very wacky fringe stuff, not just wacky and fringe, I mean, just totally false, then um, yeah, yeah, so the, it, that, that kind of discredits all of us. You know, so she wasn't the only one. Many of them spoke, but I do want to give out that disclaimer. But now Twitter censored the video. The video was of many doctors. It wasn't over that. It, it, it was because they don't like the fact that this video is call, is calling for uh, the lockdown to be ended and is calling for people to use hydroxychloroquine. Now, they're, they're quoting... The, I'm going to read you some clips here from CNN discussing this video. But Twitter suspended Don Jr.'s account, partially suspended his account. It seems that it's back now, but they um, took away uh, Don Jr.'s ability to tweet and they claimed because he was spreading misleading and potentially harmful misinformation about the coronavirus by putting out this video. So CNN, I just want to show you some of the propaganda. And again, this that, that this one doctor, this African-American doctor, this woman, I, I, look, she, as far as I'm concerned, is discredited, even if she's right, because the things, the, 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 the nutty stuff that she believes in, that discredits her as a medical expert. But you have plenty of other doctors there, and the message they were saying was to me legit it was a legitimate message i'm not saying you need to agree with everything they're saying but it was very legitimate so here's cnn quote a video featuring a group of doctors making false and dubious claims related to the coronavirus was removed by facebook twitter and youtube after it went viral so it went viral and then it was removed by facebook twitter and youtube is that a coincidence are are they threatened by the fact that conservative doctors uh are actually going viral you know, and I'm not supposed to use that term, going viral, so I apologize for that. I have changed. I don't use that term anymore. I say that it's spread wildly or something like that because I don't, I don't think it's appropriate. I, I don't know if it's inappropriate, but I don't feel comfortable you know, using the uh, adjective viral you know, in light of the, of, of the coronavirus and COVID-19. But they, CNN's calling it false and dubious, false and dubious claims. That's a, an arbitrary criticism. It's a false criticism. CNN's the one that's spreading false claims. And... They're, they're not bringing any proof or backing it up. There's no false and dubious claims in this video at all. I watched a lot, a lot of the video and the parts that they quote. So they're calling themselves America's frontline doctors. They held this press conference in front of the Supreme Court. Um, and President Trump, he shared this video. President Trump shared this video. And nothing in here, here's their problem, that they said, you don't need masks. This one doctor, I believe that one, that Dr. Emanuel, that black lady she said you don't need masks now you don't need masks that that was her way of saying she and the media trying to make it she said take off your masks masks don't help she didn't say that she didn't mean that she said you don't need masks her point i believe and you could double check this but i believe her point was that they have a cure for this or a very very effective treatment hydroxychloroquine along with zinc and azithromycin so you don't need masks because there's another way to tackle this that that was her point is that we could get rid of this altogether instead of having it out there and having to wear masks to prevent it from being spread so that's all she was saying and there's nothing 
dubious about that. There's nothing false about that. When she said you don't need masks, she didn't. They're making it out as though, well, see that the coronavirus is a fraud, is a hoax. What? No. What she? The opposite. She was saying there's a cure out there. And uh, here, here's the quote: "Quote the virus has a cure. It's called hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and zithromax. You don't need masks. There is a cure. That is a direct quote from this actual CNN uh, story. And then they say, well, that claim runs contrary to multiple studies uh, on hoxy on hydroxychloroquine." that say that it doesn't work. And and CNN, once again, quoting these bogus studies. And I'll explain what I mean by bogus. A study found that neither hydroxychloroquine nor hydroxychloroquine plus azithromycin appeared to affect the condition of patients at the 15-day mark. That's CNN, right? So a study found there was no effect, no extra effect to fight COVID-19 from hydroxychloroquine. We've told you about this in the past. This was a study done in Brazil. And um, at the 15-day mark, it didn't show any benefit. The problem with this study is it was done on people who are already hospitalized, who already had an advanced case of it. What these doctors are all saying and all the studies that have shown how well hydroxychloroquine, how effective it is, and all the doctors, the anecdotal overwhelming evidence of thousands of stories at this point uh, of hydroxychloroquine being effective, it's all when it's used as preventive, as prophylaxis, when it's used before they go into the hospital, when it's used early on. And CNN keeps quoting this one study, because the other one was debunked, this one study that shows no benefit, hydroxychloroquine. It's literally fake news. And then listen to this. This is the kicker. Back to CNN. Additionally, unusual heart rhythms and elevated liver enzyme levels were more frequent in patients receiving hydroxychloroquine. So, uh, the again, with the arrhythmia, with the heart rhythms, and we told you about that Yale doctor who said it's ludicrous to suggest that a drug that's been around for 65 years is a dangerous drug. But here's the thing. They found more arrhythmia. This is going to blow your mind. They found more cases of arrhythmia in this study in people who used hydroxychloroquine than people who did not. By the way, it was three people who had arrhythmia who used hydroxychloroquine versus one patient who had arrhythmia who did not use hydroxychloroquine. There were something like 900 people total that they studied in this, in, in, in this study. And here's the kicker. This study, if you look at the actual study, CNN won't tell you this. If you look at the study, it says that the people who did not take hydroxychloroquine, they were not checked. They were not given an EKG or whatever the test is. I may be getting the test wrong, but whatever the test is that checks the heart rhythm, I would think it's the EKG, but whatever that test, they didn't check the people who weren't on hydroxychloroquine. I don't know why they didn't check them. I'm assuming that to me debunks your study right there as far as the side effects, but I'm assuming they didn't because there was no risk because the risk comes supposedly from hydroxychloroquine and there is a slightly elevated risk of arrhythmia. There is, there's no question about that, but it's extremely minuscule. But when they say more patients, it's, it's, it's literally, it's so fake. It's scary how this study itself says the, the, of the people who took the, the two groups, the group, the group that took hydroxychloroquine has showed a greater instances of more instances of arrhythmia, cardiac arrhythmia, in other words, a, 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 a heart rhythm, irregular heart rhythm than the people who did the group that did not take hydroxychloroquine. And yet the group that did not take hydroxychloroquine, they weren't checked for arrhythmia, at least many of them, more of them. Put it that way. I mean, one of them obviously was because they showed that he, that, that he or she had it. But so then th- that could explain they may have had the exact same amount of instances of arrhythmia. You know, there's always going to be some arrhythmia when you take a large group of people. So that just debunks the whole thing. All right. Meanwhile, uh, the media is all in a tizzy because doctor, they say that Dr. Fauci has rebuked President Trump. President Trump put out a tweet storm against Dr. Fauci and Dr. Fauci has rebuked Trump. So, number one, Trump did not put out a tweet storm. It is literally fake news. This is Mediaite is um, the website. And and they are, I would call them a somewhat, well, I don't think they're too biased because they really report things in the media on both sides. 
but this is such a bogus story that they're reporting where they say that Dr. Fauci rebukes Trump's tweet storm. See, Trump didn't actually tweet against Dr. Fauci. He retweeted against Dr. Fauci. Now you want to say, well, it's the same thing. He's responsible for his tweets. Okay, fine. But they're making it out as though, you know, President Trump basically said that Dr. Fauci is a fraud. He didn't say Dr. Fauci is a fraud. He shared a tweet and that tweet had a lot of things, including this video that we told you about. But in that tweet, it did mention that Dr. Fauci is a fraud and President Trump retweeted it. Now, I don't believe that Trump thinks Dr. Fauci is a fraud because he's out there touting Dr. Fauci and listening to Dr. Fauci's advice. And maybe he shouldn't be. And by the way, I'm so tired of Dr. Fauci at this point. I, I tried defending him for a while. A lot of people have said to me, oh, that Dr. Fauci, you know, he, he really is. He's been wrong about everything from day one. He's just such an establishment guy. He, he cannot be trusted. And for all we know, he made this pandemic so much worse and the lockdown and everything else. And um, and I believe that he wasn't in the beginning early on. He's really culpable because he wasn't strong enough. And uh, I think at one point he draw, he advised Trump against the travel ban. And Trump said we got to do a travel ban. But uh, if he had been stronger, I think New York would have locked down early. So I think Fauci gets a lot of blame. You know, it's like, well, we can't blame him because we don't know how somebody else would have done. I mean, the situation was quite terrible in the beginning. And uh, uh, Dr. Fauci's in charge as, as pretty much. So how does he not get the blame? But anyway, so... President Trump put out this tweet. So George Stephanopoulos on ABC asked Dr. Fauci and Dr. F he, he basically here's the question that Stephanopoulos asked Fauci, quote, can you continue to do your job when the president is publicly questioning your credibility? And Fauci's response, I don't know how to address that. I'm just going to continue to do my job. I don't tweet. I don't even read them. So I don't really want to go there. I'll just continue to do my job no matter what comes out, because I think it's very important. Um, and so he, he didn't at all rebuke Trump. He didn't rebuke Trump at all. And then he said, I've not been misleading the American public under any circumstances. So Trump did not put out a tweet storm against Dr. Fauci. At least I would never characterize it that way. And Dr. Fauci didn't rebuke Trump. I mean, they've had this back and forth. They don't agree with each other. And that's fine. Trump actually respects Dr. Fauci, I think, more than most conservatives. All right. So Joe Biden, he either spoke or is going to speak. The story that I saw said that he was going to speak, but we already know what Biden's going to say because it's already been prescripted, like everything Biden says these days. You know, Biden, Biden tells, one, I think, one press conference in 105 days. He's actually taking questions from reporters, and he's got to stop using. The basement is no excuse because he comes out and speaks to reporters. He gives these speeches. He makes these announcements, new policy proposals and stuff. Then they try to ask him questions, and he says, sorry, I have to run. I'm in a rush. I mean, can you schedule it a little bit better? No, they do. They schedule it exactly that way. So that Biden doesn't have time to... We're in a rush. I have to get back to that basement. That basement's going to miss me. That basement's been empty for the last two hours without me. I've been in that basement for three months straight. <laughs> so, so, so so, Joe Biden, he, he was expected... Again, I don't know if he actually gave this speech or not yet, but he's expected to basically blast President Trump's handling of COVID-19. And here's the quote. Uh, a change of tone over a few days does not change the facts of the last... Four years. Everything is worsened by the crisis of presidential leadership. I was so thrilled when I saw this. This is what Biden said today. Biden, he's giving some kind of announcing a new plan for racial justice and racial equality. Very, very exciting stuff. Well, I'll read you a little bit about that in a moment. Just a little. Don't worry. I can't stand it either. But Joe Biden today, he said or will say a change of tone over a few days has not changed the fact of the last four years. They are panicking, folks. The Biden campaign they noticed Trump's change of tone. You heard it here first. A lot of callers pointed it out. We discussed it, of course. We reported on this. And Trump has shifted his strategy. 
It is the, the more serious Trump. It is the Trump who's taking COVID-19 seriously. It is a Trump who is showing leadership, taking responsibility. And the Biden camp senses it. And they are nervous because this is the last thing they want. They loved the fact that Trump seemed like he was spiraling out of control. And they, they, this is threatening to them. They, they What this means is that they know that the poll numbers are because of Trump's perceived inability to handle the coronavirus and that Trump is playing this exactly right. And the way they're counteracting that is very, very weak, where they have Biden saying a change of tone over a few days has not changed the fact of the last four years. In other words, translation, wow, you know, we're getting nervous. Trump figured it out. He figured out how to beat us. Now, don't get too excited, but, you know, and I know I tend to get overly optimistic about these things. But um, so Joe Biden, basically the Trump campaign released a statement today saying that Joe Biden has a troubling past on race. And this is very important. I want to tell you why in a moment. But um, Biden's going to talk about racial equity and justice. And Trump is out there, the Trump campaign, a spokeswoman, a senior advisor, Katrina Pearson. She's blasting Joe Biden, saying, actually, Joe Biden has a very checkered past. And he actually used to hang out with racists and white supremacists, which is a fact. So let me read you the quote here from the spokesperson. Joe Biden's record proves that he indiscriminately spreads economic misery for all Americans. So he has addressed inequality that way. The basic fact remains no one should listen to a lecture on racial justice from Biden. He palled around with notorious racist segregationist senators, bragged about receiving an award from George Wallace, eulogized the exalted cyclops of the KKK, opposed the desegregation of schools through busing, and said he did not want his kids to grow up in a racial jungle, end quote. Now, here's what's amazing. A lot of people are not aware of this. They are going to attack Biden on his racist record. And do I believe Joe Biden is a racist? Well, look, as I keep saying, society was different back in the 70s. Kamala Harris essentially implied that Joe Biden was a racist when she said, I don't think you're a racist, Mr. Vice President, but, and they're going to play that moment again and again, but with the busing, but, but, but Joe Biden, he's the type of guy, he like, he hangs out with everybody, he smiles with everybody, and in the 70s, he wanted to make a name for himself, and the racist, white supremacist senators were the ones in charge of the Democrat Party, so Joe Biden hung out with them. And, and, and Trump is going to pound away at this. And here's why this is so important. And I, I don't want to get into too much detail about this, the nitty gritty. But this is how Trump beat Hillary in 2016. The most underrated part of Trump's victory in 2016 was something called micro-targeting. And they're going to write books about this. There have been lengthy articles written about this. And Jared Kushner was the genius behind this. Where, if you think about it, the, the, the election, because of the Electoral College, the election comes down to a few hundred thousand votes. I don't know how many. Five or six hundred thousand votes. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, Trump lost by, what, three million, two and a half million in the, in, in the popular vote? And yet he w- won by a landslide in the Electoral College. It's almost never been done before what Trump did. Because they had this brilliant strategy where they looked at six or seven states. I'm talking about Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, Ohio, Florida, and, and, and maybe Michigan. And they looked at those states and said, if we can sway like 75,000, 100,000 votes from each of those swing states, then Trump wins. If you basically keep uh, 600,000 voters or so home, uh, instead of voting for who voted for Biden otherwise or who voted for Hillary, would have voted for Hillary in 2016, and you just leave them home, make sure they don't come out. So 
You can win. That was Trump's strategy, and I'll prove it because a big part of it, what they did was something called micro-targeting. They discovered the Facebook accounts. They have ways of doing this, obviously, these digital marketing experts, where they can actually isolate Facebook accounts and, and social media accounts of black voters, black likely voters, and then they can show them, they target them with ads. So they targeted them with these ads showing Hillary uh, making racist comments in a video against blacks. So a lot of blacks just stayed home and did not come out to vote because right before the election, they were shown these th these vicious videos about Hillary. So they're going to pound away at Biden the same way. They're going to target black voters. I have no doubt. Now, quiet, don't tell the Biden campaign. And I wonder if the Biden people have even figured this out because the, the, the po po political campaigns, they're so behind when it comes to digital marketing and they so underestimated Trump on that front. But that was Kushner's genius. And um, that's, I believe, they're going to do they're going to target black voters in six or seven key states and show them how um joe biden is actually you know uh, has a very checkered past when it comes to black and race all right so attorney general barr testified and the democrats they're so nasty and ag barr it's like i guess his big strength is that he remains very calm and you know he's very respectful and courteous but like I, how he doesn't lose his temper and lose his cool as they sit there blasting him is beyond me. But he really and, and, and it's frustrating, frankly, a little bit. I like that he takes the high road, but like it, it's frustrating because you got to put these Democrats in their place. And he did not. And all they did was they insulted him. They were vicious. They were nasty. And I'll try to put up a bunch of audio clips uh, in the audio section. But like I said, it's going to be like 80 percent. You're just hearing these Democrats yell and scream and uh, and 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 bar barely responding he's just like sitting there calm looking as can be just like all right you want to scream go ahead scream so they attacked him essentially on the lafayette park riots they accused him of doing trump's bidding with flynn and roger stone a lot of predictable stuff they attacked trump's record on the coronavirus as though somehow Barr is responsible for that he has praised trump's handling of the virus but come on uh and it was just it was pain literally painful the democrat they're so full of hatred and disdain and Barr has integrity, as I said, so he lets himself be turned into this dish rag. And he didn't need any of this. I'm going to read you some uh, some quotes here from Barr's opening statement in a moment. Now, at one point, this shows you Jerry Nadler. He's such a he's just so creepy. Jerry Nadler, Barr, Barr Jerry Nadler is the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. And keep in mind something important for this clip is that Jerry Nadler showed up an hour late. There was a car accident. Nadler was involved in. It seems everybody was okay. But Nadler showed up an hour late. They had to delay the meeting for an hour. And then A.G. Barr, in the middle of this hearing, asks Jerry Nadler for a five-minute break. And Nadler refused to give it until he was basically pressured into saying, yes, listen to this clip. Ms. Dean is recognized. Sorry, Mr. Chairman, could, I, could we take yes, a five-minute break? Dean is recognized. Could we take a five-minute break, Mr. Chairman? No. That's a common courtesy, Ms. Dean is Mr. Chairman, of every witness. I waited 45, are, an hour for you this morning. I haven't had lunch. I'd like to take Mr. a five-minute break. Mr. Attorney General, we're, we are almost finished. We're, we're, we're going to be finished in a, in a few minutes. Otherwise, you can, we can certainly take a break. But, um, you're real no, yeah. <laughs> yes, after this, yes, after this, if you still well, we'll have a break. No, he wants a break now. Right now. And you just Fine. you just committee, mentioned rudeness. I think we're stand, seeing it on display. Let's let the attorney general have a break. The committee will stand in recess now. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. 
So, I mean, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Jim Jordan gets involved and says, how can you not give him this five minute? And then Barr, and, and, and what he's referring, he says, Barr says, I came 45 minutes, an hour late. I had to wait for you, and I want a five-minute break. And this is unheard of. I have never, I've seen these people, they testify, they ask for breaks. He's there willingly. I mean, he's not he, he's not a criminal. And uh, Nadler refuses to give him the break. And then finally, he gives in and gives him the break. And and, and Nadler, at one point, he, he mutters this under his breath. You can hear it, though, in the clip where he says, you're a class act, Congressman Nadler. You're a class act, and which which is the closest that Barr's ever going to get to losing his cool. Um, so here's, let me read you some quotes here from his opening statement. Quote, ever since I made it clear I was going to do everything I could to get to the bottom of the grave abuses involved in the bogus Russiagate scandal, many of the Democrats on this committee have attempted to discredit me by conjuring up a narrative that I'm simply the president's factotum who disposes of criminal cases according to his instructions, judging from the letter inviting me to this hearing that appears to be your agenda today. So let me turn to that. As you know, I served as attorney general under President George H.W. Bush. After that, I spent many years in the corporate world. I was almost 70, slipping happily into retirement as I enjoyed my grandchildren. I had nothing to prove and had no desire to return to government. I had no prior relationship with President Trump. But as an outsider, I became deeply troubled by what I perceived as the increasing use of the criminal justice process as a political weapon and the emergence of two separate standards of justice. The department had been drawn into the political maelstrom and was being buffeted on all sides. When asked to consider returning, I did so because I revered the department and believed my independence would allow me to help steer her back to her core mission of applying one standard of justice for everyone and enforcing the law even handily, handedly without partisan considerations. Since returning, I have done precisely that. My decisions on criminal matters before the department have been my own, and they have been made because I believe they were right under the law and principles of justice. And uh, you know, he essentially, you know, he went on to talk about George Floyd and talk about how there is no systemic racism. Had there that there are some racist police officers, yes, but there's no systemic racism. And how the protesters and the rioters, you know, they're the ones who are destroying the fabric of the country. And he talked about how. He is not at all a puppet of President Trump. Of course, the Democrats are never going to listen. By the way, Jerry Nadler today, Daily Wire reports, he doubled down when speaking with Barr on his claim that the Antifa riots are a myth. The Nadler, in his exchange with Barr, said, quote, the president wants footage for his campaign ads. You appear to be serving it up to him as ordered. The protesters are not mobs. They are mothers. They are veterans and mayors. And then Barr says, what unfolds nightly around the courthouse cannot reasonably be caused, be caused protest. It is by any objective measure an assault on the government of the U.S. Cannot be called protest. I think it's a typo. Since when is it okay to burn down a federal courthouse? The rioters come equipped for fighting. And he said, he basically said to Nadler, he said, why can't you condemn people who are trying to burn down a federal courthouse? And Nadler refused to do that. Then Nadler claimed Antifa was a myth. He actually said this again in, in, in the House. And Barr said, quote, I don't think it's a myth. Antifa can be best fought, thought of as an umbrella term for a movement compromised of loosely organized groups around the country. They are definitely organized, but since they have an anarchic temperament, they don't get along very well. And um, it just really is just totally, totally unconscionable here, the way they treated William Barr. In the end, Nadler said that uh, shame on you. He actually said to William Barr. All right, the Trump administration, get ready. They are extending DACA for a year. President Trump announced today, now he didn't announce it, but the administration announced that they are extending DACA for one year. And we told you that this would probably happen because 
We knew the reports were out a few a few weeks ago where Trump hinted he was going to do this. So now they're not going to allow new op- applications for DACA. But that, I don't care. They're, they're, they're allowing renewals of DACA protection for DREAMers. So you can't be retracting it saying it's illegal and at the same time saying that you're going to allow renewals of a program that's illegal. I don't get that. And they're reviewing the legality of the program. Well, I mean, they know. They've, they've been reviewing it for years. They know the, they, they know the legality or should we say the illegality. So Trump is caving on DACA as far as I'm concerned. Now, how much is this going to hurt Trump with his base? I don't know. I, I, it's, it's possible that, that his base is going to forgive him. He's been so tough when it comes to border and immigration and everything else. But I don't think this is going to help Trump with the Hispanic vote. Let me explain why. I, I think Trump may have a lot of Hispanics voting for him, the ones who are smart, who recognize how good he's been for Hispanics and how Hispanic communities are going to be devastated if Biden takes office and uh, imposes his liberal, pro-illegal, pro-gang member, pro-drug um, policies but and anti-police policies. But here's the thing. Is there any Hispanic out there who's like, listen, I'm not going to vote for Trump. He, Trump has been so tough. He's such a racist. He's so anti-Hispanic. Uh, he's so anti immigration. I'm not going to vote for Trump. But then, well, well, Trump, he's allowing the renewal of DACA protection for dreamers for a year. Well, okay, I, now I'm going to vote for Trump. That He has my vote. That sways me. You know, that, that that's it. That changes my mind. I just don't believe it's going to happen. First of all, he rescinded DACA and then he fought it all the way to the Supreme Court and then lost. And he's still not allowing new applications. But putting all that aside, you know, there are many people out there who just view Trump as a racist. And if he caves in on DACA, that's not going to change their minds. I just don't believe it. So I don't think this helps Trump politically in any way. All right, new poll from the AP. And again, this shows what we already know. Trump supporters are enthusiastic. Biden supporters are not enthusiastic. Just this AP, just 31% of Biden supporters say that they're excited. 42% of Trump supporters say that they're excited. These 31% of Biden supporters who say they're excited, I mean, what they are excited about, I will never know. It is just beyond me. Now, Biden's coalition, here's what's interesting. Biden supporters are fueled by negative emotions versus Trump. In other words, they feel negatively about um, Trump winning as opposed to feel positive about Biden. Very interesting. 72% 72% of Biden supporters say they feel anxious about the 2020 election. 52% of Trump supporters. So what that tells you is people are voting for Biden, not because they like Biden, but because they're afraid of Trump re-election, which is not surprising at all. Now, think about this. Nobody is voting, even if you want to believe all the polls, and there are a lot of, you know, a lot of reports out there showing, uh, you know, George Bush Sr. in 1988 at this point in the election the polls did not look very good for him. There have been other presidents who were reelected who were slipping in the polls. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen this time. You know, we, we have to be, I guess, cautious, cautiously pessimistic, or I don't know what. But the point is that, and I don't like being pessimistic, as you know, but nobody's voting for Biden. Whoever's voting again for, for Biden right now, it's a vote against Trump. It's not a vote for Biden. Biden is a cardboard cutout. He's like a generic candidate. And it's just that they're voting against Trump. There is nothing. Obviously, there are the radicals in the party. Obviously, there are the leftists who ideologically they want Biden. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the voters we care about, the swing voters. There's no swing voter out there who's like, well, you know what? This Biden, he's just he's just so energetic and his policies are just so coherent and he's just 
that, that what a great leader he's going. No, nobody's saying that. They're saying, oh, wow, I can't deal with having Trump. I mean, Trump, the, his vicious, nasty tweets, and he's so divisive, and the, and the pandemic, he's ignored. That's what they're saying. They don't care about who Biden is. It's that Biden is not Trump. That's all they're voting for. And that's good news because that could change. The more Trump projects leadership and pos- you know positive tone, the more that can change. But more importantly, that'll change when all the negatives of Biden are exposed. You know, now these debates, they're, they're canceling. They're changing the venues of these debates. A lot of the colleges are backing out. I'm like almost waiting here for the Biden campaign at the last minute to pull out of the debates and say, you know what, this is, gonna, this is too dangerous. We can't have a debate because they're terrified of the debate. But sooner or later, you know, Chris Wallace, amazing um, statements made by Chris Wallace, who's not at all a fan of Trump, who gave credit to Trump, sitting through an hour-long interview with Chris Wallace, tough questions, and yet Chris Wallace said, Fox News Sunday, they keep asking the Biden campaign, can we do an interview? And Biden keeps saying, no, he's not available for an interview. And Chris Wallace says, sooner or later, he's going to have to come out of the basement. Those are Chris Wallace's words. So eventually, Biden has to get exposed, and he's going to have to go off script and take tough questions. And I think that's going to be, I think that's going to literally destroy him. There's a reason that his campaign has been literally protecting him, like keeping him in solitary confinement. They're giving him the Paul Manafort treatment. Um, Chicago, surprise, surprise, Chicago has seen a drop in violence. Coincidentally, Chicago has created two new police units to deal with the surge in crime, to deal with the surge in violence. And uh, now, since those two new police uh, units have been created and implemented, Chicago has seen a drop in violence, a drop in shootings, a drop in murders. Well, isn't that a shock? So rather than defunding the police, uh, Chicago, the very super liberal city, is expanding the police and it's actually working. See, it's a very simple formula. More police means less crime. Less police means more crime. So they're not building a swimming pool like Bill de Blasio. And, and a caller from Chicago left me a voicemail saying, you know, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, you know, I, I, I confess I'm not extremely familiar with Mayor Lori Lightfoot, except that she's a radical liberal. Of course, she followed in the footsteps of Rahm Emanuel, who was a radical liberal. But he says she's not de Blasio. She's not a socialist. She's not c- crazy like Bill de Blasio. She's like more within the realm of like reason and 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 rationale. A, a little. I mean, as much as you could say that about any, you know, radical leftist. So that's very interesting. Clearly, and clearly, she's at least doing the smart thing here, or allowing her police department to do it, and. She is cooperating, supposedly, as we told you, with President Trump on bringing in federal agents. Um, Some Twitter users in England are staging a 48-hour boycott of Twitter because apparently there was a stream of Twitter anti-Semitic comments posted on Twitter by some British singer. And Twitter, it took them 12 hours before they removed their complaints about these vicious anti-Semitic comments. And it took 12 hours before Twitter removed them. So now Twitter users are staging a 48-hour boycott. Um, boycott the so so it seems that this singer in the UK his posts as I said were visible for 12 hours and Boris Johnson did not take part in the boycott but some government officials did but he did not he said he needed to communicate important public health messages on Twitter his spokesman said but it seems that he was at least supportive in some way the spokesman said quote Twitter's performance has not been good enough in response to the anti-semitic comments made and it needs to do much better. And um, Twitter did ban the singer for seven days. He And he was dropped by his management company. He called Jews cowards and snakes, among other things. If he was conservative, I'm sure Twitter would have responded much more quickly. Um, Axios says that the head of Black Lives Matter, the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, 
uh, says that the Democrat Party needs to get a lot more radical. Patrice Cullors, co-founder of the BLM, Black Lives Matter movement, she spoke with the DNC, with the, with the party platform committee of the Democratic Convention, and she excoriated Democratic Party leaders, according to Axios, over their lack of solutions to racial injustice and inequality. And she said they need to get behind the movement to defund the police. So there's still a lot of pressure being put on, so to, so to speak, establishment, so-called establishment Democrats to um, get behind the defund the police movement. And this is going to be a big dilemma for Biden in terms of those black voters. And finally, Peter Navarro, White House trade advisor, he says he has no regrets about his op-ed criticizing Dr. Fauci. And as I said earlier, you know, I, I really am just tired. I think Dr. Fauci, I think he was in way over his head. It, it, I think the the kindest way to describe it, because a lot of people think he's malicious. But if you believe that he sincerely wants to help people, he was just went way over his head. And when his policies failed and there was an absolute nightmare, a nightmare is an understatement about, of, of the pandemic early on, he should have just taken the high road and just stepped down and said, listen, I'm not capable. I'm not equipped to do this. His whole career was spent preparing for this moment. You know, well, maybe somebody else would have gotten it worse. Maybe, maybe somebody else would have gotten it better. When does that stop being an excuse in, in any job in the world? If you fail at the job you're supposed to do, even though it might not be your fault, you take the heat, you take the blame, you're, 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 you're responsible. So he said on Fox, Peter Navarro on Monday, yesterday said on Fox, there was a USA Today op-ed and President Trump actually disavowed this op-ed, but Navarro says he doesn't regret it. He said, quote, the only thing I regret is Dr. Fauci's pitch the other day at opening day. I felt bad for him. Apparently he's referring to, apparently Dr. Fauci threw out the first pitch at the Washington Nationals baseball game uh, because baseball is is back. They have started their season late. Uh, are the Washington Nationals still called the Washington Nationals? Have they changed their name? Are we aware of this? So um, essentially, Navarro. So he, as I said, he was actually criticized by Mark Meadows, chief of the chief of staff of President Trump and Trump himself, uh, and they distanced themselves from the piece. And Navarro said, uh, "Dr. Fauci is wrong. Was wrong. Has been wrong about everything." And you know what? Navarro makes a very good point. Um, USA Today said the op-ed did not meet its fact-checking standards. And uh, the, as I said, the White House you know, kind of blasted and disavowed it. But Navarro says that he has no regrets. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.